1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. i people make friends. I'm just trying to save a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, so this guy comes up to me right outside the exchange, right down there, okay? And he says to me, hey, uh, Mad Money Man, What's going to turn this market around? I thought for a second, and I said, oh, don't worry about it. It's all going to work out. Talk about a punt! That young man deserves better. You know what? You deserve better. So let me give you some answers about what can turn this darn thing around for real after a hideous day, Dow lost only 105 points. Only S&P plunged 1.43 percent, but the Nasdaq plummeted a bone-crushing 2.43 percent. That's awful. Look, as I tried to say last night, this is not a good market. I know you don't need a weatherman to tell you which way the wind blows, but think about yesterday. I try my best to say that everything good right now is merely a trade because stocks have become divorced momentarily from the fundamentals of individual companies. A bunch of big-name stocks would rally on good earnings yesterday, not because of the results, but because they reported on a day when interest rates were tame. They sure weren't today. They shut up like a darn Musk rocket. As I've been saying over and over, though, rates should not be tame. Interest rates should and are going higher. We have too much bond supply, too many sellers, and too much hot economic data that makes it more likely that the Fed will keep tightening and, of course, selling bonds itself. So for the moment, you can't trust the stock prices that you see, or at least at the very least, you can't assume that they have much to do with the underlying company. In fact, if you want to know the direction of your stocks near term, you'd probably do better to consult the Census Bureau for the monthly new residential sales data, or the Treasury Department for how many bonds it needs to sell, or the oil market for the price of crude, all of them are more important than any earnings report I saw today, with the possible exception of Microsoft, which produced such a stellar set of numbers that its stock could rally 3%. Then again, maybe it's a nation unto itself. So let's play it out. Let's say you happen to just nail a company's earnings perfectly. It's a case of Boeing, which reported a nice upside surprise this morning. The stock jumped four points when the market opened. Yes! And, and then it closed down more than four bucks at the close. No. The initial rally was about the fundamentals, but the horrific decline that followed was all about a sudden spike in interest rates from a lousy bond auction, auction that the Treasury threw to pay for the humongous budget deficit. And of course, it stayed down when oil and spiked 1.8%, which is always bad for Boeing. Like I said last night, in this market, everything's a trade. Boeing couldn't even rally for an entire morning after reporting a tremendous quarter, let alone the whole day. Which brings me to that young man on the street down there, who wanted to know what will turn things around. The one that I punted, told him, don't worry about it. I, I, he deserves that adequate answer. We're going to give you the adequate answer, but to do that, we have to delve not just into stocks, Oh, uh, but we have to delve into bonds. Now, I know for many of you, the bond market seems a little opaque, if not just a real s- snooze I don't want to go inside the yield curve tonight and put everybody to sleep. But you do need to know that just like stocks, bonds trade on the fulcrum of supply and demand. It's a market. The U.S. government has a gigantic budget deficit so big that it's now constantly borrowing money. It does that in the form of an auction. Today, the Treasury sold $52 billion worth of five-year notes in an auction and demand sagged, causing interest rates to go higher. Hey, just think about it like this. Let's say you own the stock of Apple, and Apple just went out in the afternoon and issued $52 billion more in new shares. You know it would be a tough sell right now, right? Stock get hammered. And that's what happened to the bond market. Too much supply all at once, and that supply can't find a home. It just can't. I mean, look at this thing. It's looking for a home. It's looking for a home. It's looking for a home. I haven't found it yet. All this has a subtle impact, though. The yield on the five-year actually didn't spike much, but the yield on the 30-year in response did. Why? Because we know the government will keep issuing more and more paper. And there's no appetite for five-year notes. There certainly won't be an appetite for longer-term bonds, especially since they have even lower yields right now. So what can make interest rates stabilize, allowing stocks to trade based on the fundamentals of individual companies? Again, would we love that? Let's go down the list. To be a little simplistic, we need to see more buyers than sellers in the bond market. At these levels, we seem to have many more sellers than buyers. We don't just yeah, look. I mean, we don't just have the Treasury selling bonds. We got a constant supply. We have the Federal Reserve selling bonds as part of its attempt to stem inflation by cooling down the economy, sucking out all the liquidity. Hey, we also have all sorts of foreign governments selling our bonds, including tons of selling from China. They got an 805 billion dollar position in bonds. That's down a lot from where it's been, but they could sell them all for all I know. What could change this dynamic? First, bond price. If bond yields go higher and higher. Prices go lower. Many institutions will actually come in and buy them. I've been saying over and over again that once the 30-year yield 6 percent count me in as a buyer, but it's only a little over 5 percent now. We've got a long way to go. Second, how about some data? Data specifically, we need weaker economic data, not stronger, weaker. That would allow the Fed to stop raising rates, maybe even cut them. Maybe give us a big break in the bomb sales. Uh, but we keep getting strong data. I mean, today, for example, we with mortgage rates at 8 uh, percent, we got shockingly robust new home sales figures, 12.3 percent better than previous month. That's going in the wrong direction. Sure, medium home prices have fallen from uh, to 418,000, down from 477,000. That's good, but not good enough. Until home sales crater, the Fed has no reason to feel confidence winning the war against inflation, which brings me to the third thing that could turn bonds and stocks around, some large layoffs. It's terrific that we have an unemployment rate of 3.8%. If you want to see interest rates go down, though, even with t- lots of Treasury sales, talk to me when the unemployment goes to the mid 4s or even five. Yes, until we see the end of job growth and the beginning of job reductions, interest rates are going to keep rising. That's how we get to six. Now, sure, we can have all these one-offs, oil going down, say, industrial production decline, GDP uh, going lower, consumer price index going lower. They all matter. But you tell me where unemployment's going, that's what really determines it. You tell me where it's going, I'll be able to tell you where the stock of Boeing's going. It's much more important for the stock than that terrific conference call. It seems oxymoronic, doesn't it? But if you want to see Boeing stock soar like its planes, we need to see fewer jobs created, more people laid off. Which brings me to the fourth way this market can stop going down. We get to some level where it doesn't make sense to sell stocks because stocks can actually be cheap, even regardless of bond yields. Hey, by the way, that actually happened in the 90s. I can't believe it. That's 1990s, not 1890s. All right. We're obviously not at these levels yet. Or a stock like Boeing would have rallied all day. The cheering of the bond market can end once bonds get attractive and yield or stocks get attractive in price. Or both, which would be achievable nirvana. That's a new term. I'm going to use it from now on. When we get to the lower price level, the market will be really oversold. It's pretty much there right now, which can cause a bounce all of its own. Without Tamer interest rates, though, it might not matter. But we are indeed oversold fifth. We could have some sort of flight to quality. Fight to safety is the way they call it. Where there's so much turmoil overseas, like we have now, that people rush to buy U.S. treasuries. Because despite all the craziness in Washington, the combination of strong dollar, lack of stability anywhere else, they make our bonds seem like a lovey blanket place to be, especially at at 5%, up from 3% not that long ago. But we're not there yet. Bottom line, from the perspective of the stock market, we need all these five to happen, all of them. Hey, this all seems to be happening right now, but, uh, but we need to have mass layoffs, geopolitical turmoil. All these things will eventually create an investable moment, young man, on the Wall Street, down here on Broad Street. Until then, though, even the moves of the best stocks are just a trade. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey, Joe. Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Absolutely, Joe. What's shaking? uh i was told you should invest in companies that
0: you use
1: okay i'm a lot i own a lot of john deere equipment is john deere a buy and by the way nothing runs like a deer i I look i got a gator i totally agree with you but let me tell you my, my problem if i say it's a buy it's a 371 that's a lot of points so let's say it goes down to like 340 we'll be like Kramer's an idiot. I don't feel like being an idiot. Here's what I'm saying. I think deer is a great long-term investment because we have a long-term view that we got to feed the world. Deere's the best there is. I say you buy some and then wait. Interest rates get to 6%. You'll be able to buy this thing at $300, at 370 That's the new plan. That's what we're going to do. How about we go to Nick in Florida? Nick. Good afternoon, Jim. Hey, I'm, big guy. I have a question about, about Broadcom and the VMware deal. Will sure, I'm all over it. Will it still go through at the end of the month without China approval, or will it be another Intel Tower semiconductor broken deal? It can't go through. It can't go through without Chinese approval. It can't without Chinese approval. Now, it was supposed to happen by, uh, by the, my wife's birthday, which is coming up real soon, but it's, right now it doesn't look like it's happening. But I tell you, I can't tell what will happen if it doesn't. I know this, Broadcom is an inexpensive stock, and Hocktan is an excellent CEO, and he will buy that stock hand over fist if he doesn't get his way with China. I'm going to Keith, my old home state of Pennsylvania. Keith!
2: Hello, Mr. Kramer. How you doing?
1: Well, we lost last night, Keith. Unless you're from the western Pennsylvania, you have no idea what I'm talking about.
2: No, I do, and it, it was greatly disappointing. But, hey, that's silly for you sometimes, right? Yeah, that's,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: that's true. <laughs> hey,
1: well,
0: Mr. Kramer, uh, I was wondering if you could give me some wisdom and insight into Etsy. You recommended yeah. it a, a couple months ago, and it's been continually in the house
2: of pain. Will things turn around for the company? Okay, and hey, this is a great question because
1: I think that the company itself, down almost 50%, represents great value. Uh, I think Josh Silverman's an excellent executive. In the old days, when we used to have takeovers, I would have said someone would have bought it here. I am not going to run away from Etsy because I think it's one-of-a-kind. sui generous, as we said in law school. But that said, I mean, one-of-a-kind stocks go down, too, in this kind of market, at least for now. Right, the market's become laser-focused on interest rates, not earnings. And it's causing stocks to become divorced from their current fundamentals. Too much changes. Well, any move, it's just called a trade. buddy, tonight, trying to get a read on GDP growth in the U.S.? Well, as I told you earlier in the week, read between the lines during earnings season, you can get a sense of where things are going. And one of the things I like to look at is WM. That's a GDP play, but they're changing right now. Then Mattel had a smash hit with the Barbie movie. So how will that translate into holiday sales? I'm getting a preview from the company's top risk. And from strikes to higher interest rates, the auto businesses is torn asunder. Why don't we check in with Lithia and Driveway to get a sense of how things are unfolding in that corner of the market. So stay with
3: Kramer.
1: At the top of the show, I laid out a series of things that need to happen before the market can sustainably go higher. I rattled off a bunch of variables about interest rates that could make stocks in the aggregate go higher, too. But some stocks, rare ones, can withstand the gravitational pull of interest rates, even on an ugly day like this one. Hey, we saw it with Microsoft, right? We put up the best quarter of the year season. And we also saw it with a company called WM. That's the outfit formerly known as Waste Management, which put a tremendous quarter and saw its stocks turn 6%. So how could a company that's so sensitive to the economy still deliver some surprisingly great numbers in a world where the Fed's relentlessly trying to cool things off? Why don't we find out by talking to the president and CEO of WM? Himself, Jim Fish. Mr. Fish, welcome back to Van Money. How are you, Jim? Well, you know, Jim, I'm astounded. There was a time when you and I, or, or your predecessor, Mr. Steiner, might have talked about, uh, well, how many cities are there where there's building? How much new waste is there from a housing development? This is a story of transformation. It's the story of automation and it's the story of the money that can be had by being a good corporate citizen with renewable natural gas. I'm going to turn it over to you because this is not waste management. This is WM.
2: Well, you're right. I mean, it's uh, we've we've changed kind of the marketing aspect of it. Uh, a couple of years ago during the golf tournament, somebody asked us, aren't you trying to become synonymous with sustainability? And we thought, you know, we are. So why don't we call the company WM instead of waste management? But. Um, We're excited about the quarter. We're excited about, uh, you know, the, the, the top line was a little flat. We thought it would be for the year. So we've been focused on the middle section of the P&L.
1: Well, it's important to put it. This is what I wanted to get at. The top line did not rule here. What ruled is the expansion in margins. And I got to tell you what knocked my socks off was when Tara Hemmer, your sustainability officer, said that there's $500 million production EBITDA for renewable energy. I mean, this is an extraordinary thing. I remember going to the Camden, New Jersey pump of natural gas and thinking, oh, this is a boutique little operation you guys are running. This is probably one of the most profitable operations I can recall seeing in corporate America.
2: Well, and it's, and it's gas that's coming to us anyway. I mean, these landfills <laughs> by their nature create gas. And what we've what we've done over the last year and a half is, is start to convert that into renewable natural gas. And of course, we have a natural gas fleet. About 75% of our routed trucks each day are, are running on natural gas so it really creates this full circle for us but you're right it is a it's very profitable there's obviously some construction involved where we're gonna have forty uh... plants not all natural gas we've got some recycle plants also but forty construction events ongoing next year at the same time but uh, we're excited about it. well also because of automation you
1: are actually bringing down the cost of your basic business while churn is almost non-existent that is a level of leverage that very few companies have in america
2: well jim i we've talked about this before and that is that this this trade group the 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 folks that are willing to fill these trade type positions that group has been shrinking over time i mean in in my grandfather's generation probably half the folks in that generation were, were truck drivers And in today's economy, you're seeing this kind of shrinking trade group and we've been seeing it coming for probably five or six years. So we said, what do we do to take advantage of of that? And and we started using technology and our own natural attrition. So when, when some of these positions freed up, We use technology to replace them instead of just backfilling them as we used to do. Well, you gave us some data that is really just hard, empirical analysis.
1: In the third quarter, we saw materially lower labor costs per ton at our automated facilities at about 35% below the rest of our recycling network. How is that possible? That's right. How
2: is that possible? So when we rebuild these facilities, and I'll, I'll give you an example, we used to have an optical sorter, maybe one or two optical sorters at one of these recycle plants. Now we have somewhere between 14 and 20 optical sorters. And, and what happens is you, you don't need as many physical sorters. You don't need, need, need as many people there. Those jobs, by the way, turn over at about 50% per year. In theory, you could replace all of your sorters in two years time. But when we rebuild those plants and we put all this technology in there, we don't need as much labor. And, and, and it's okay because those folks have, have left and gone, to another job somewhere, and we've just chosen not to refill the position.
1: All right. Now, we also watch your ads. Those of us who watch sports, we see a plethora of them. Uh, And I I was with someone who said, oh, my God, that's a phony thing. They've got some lifter that takes the place of a human on a waste truck. I'm seeing automated 141 residential routes and have a target to convert more than 400 routes in 2024. This is, again, something where you're taking the
2: cost out, and it's rather dramatic. And I think we've got more than just the 400. That, that's just, you know, we're we're going to take another 400 trucks, uh, delivery of trucks next year. Those automated side loaders, and we're replacing those those traditional rear loaders, which we saw running around our neighborhoods as kids, with with the person on the back. Now uh, we're replacing that person on the back. And by the way, it's another job that had almost 50 percent turnover to it. It's a hard job. So when we when we have somebody leave as a as a helper on the back of a truck. We're just simply not replacing the position, and we're adding an an automated side loader that's run by a joystick. That's incredible.
1: Also, I think people should realize that when you probably the first three or four months when you hire someone new, you don't even get the you don't really get their worth. You're training them, so it's really hidden how much you're saving because it's kind of dead weight loss when you hire a new person initially.
2: Well, and that's right. And our and our training cost part of the, the improvement in opex for the third quarter was a reduction in training hours. Uh, we had a, a pretty big ramp up in training during COVID, and and that has really come down pretty dramatically over the last two quarters. Certainly in the third quarter, that was a big contributor.
1: Now, you're doing these numbers with uh, quarter uh, third quarter collection volumes and disposal uh, grew by 0.7%. What would happen if you grew, say, 3
2: 4%, which we know is possible because it, you still have an element of GDP growth here? I think it'd be certainly it'd be a positive for us if, if the economy was growing at 3 or 4%. We just don't see any huge optimism uh, as we move from 23 to 24 i'm not sure i've read a single report that's that shows that 24 is going to be better than 23 right but there will come a day maybe it's 25 when when we're the economy's growing at three or four percent again and we'll be a beneficiary uh, as well uh, of, a, of a high growth economy right now with with kind of a flat gdp we're working on the middle of the PL as, as you and i've just right. discussed
1: now, is there a way for people to understand the power of this natural gas franchise? I mean, it was kind of like copper versus gold, where copper was a byproduct of gold. It turns out that it's gold in itself. I mean, I felt when I read this, I said, I've really got to start modeling what you're doing in renewable natural gas to be able to figure out how well you're doing.
2: The plants so are we have been uh, we've been capturing natural gas or capturing gas out of these landfills for for many years. So this isn't something that's we just discovered in the last 2 but but what we have changed to uh, over the last couple of years is instead of just capturing natural gas and putting it into uh, a gen set that that turns it into electricity we're actually turning it into renewable natural gas and we have the ability as i mentioned be- because of uh, that natural gas fleet to generate these these ren credits and then sell those ren credits and they're very profitable to sell the the value of those has gone up uh, fairly significantly over the last six months, we'll, we'll we'll try and get our hands around what we think the value is going to be for 24. But they are very profitable for us, and in addition, we're we're producing gas that we can put into the pipeline.
1: All right, well, look, it's a it's a complex story. That, it, it does hinge on the fact that you're just a much better operator than you used to be. And that's why a lot of things flow perfectly. And you were a good operator before. I'm not saying you were bit but you really figured it out. I want to thank you, Jim Fish, President and CEO of WM. You gave us some fun today. Your stock was up nine. The rest of the market's terrible. It's great to see you. Good to see you, Jim. Thank Thanks. you. Everybody's back in.
3: Coming up, it hasn't been all fun and games for Mattel. Will a Barbie-powered earnings report put the toy maker back in the dream house? Kramer's got the CEO
0: next. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
1: That Barbie movie, you know it was a huge hit this summer. Now investors want to see if that could fuel great numbers for Mattel, given that it's one of their biggest brands. Well, sure enough, Mattel reported tonight and offered t- conservative guidance on what I thought was a very good set of numbers, but I think the guidance didn't capture the long-term value that's being created here, hence why the stock actually traded down on those terrific numbers. So i got to ask, is the market missing something? I think it's worth a closer look at them. So let's check in with Henan Kreis. He's the chairman and CEO of Mattel to get a better sense of what's happening here. Mr. Price, welcome back
4: to of Money. Hello, Jim. Great to be with you again.
1: Well, thank you, and you know, congratulations on what I guess is the cultural sensation of the year, both movie and, yes, of toys. I wanted you to give us a longer-term impression, because the stock's trading down for all these things that Wall Street gets right or wrong. Longer-term impression of what the intellectual property of Mattel means now that we've seen the success that it can have in movies.
4: Well, let me start by saying this was a very strong quarter for Mattel. Our results exceeded expectation. We showed meaningful sales growth and margin expansion with very strong free cash flow. Our consumer demand uh, uh, grew, increased in the quarter. We continued to outpace in the industry, and it was a breakout quarter for our entertainment strategy, benefiting from the incredible success of the Barbie movie. So all in all, we are very well positioned competitively. We expect a strong holiday season and gain market share in the fourth quarter and the full year. And clearly, the Barbie movie was a big driver, but this is not just about one movie or just about Barbie. It's about a holistic strategy to capture full value from our intellectual property, and we're executing on this strategy.
1: Okay. Uh, You know, I totally agree with you, and I've been on board since, I don't know, let's say uh, high single digits, low, low, low double, but I do know... I have to be cognizant that people are selling the stock right now, and I want to tell them why they're wrong, but I don't want to be the person who does it. You, can. you have basically said the expectations are for a certain amount that may have to do with, say, the economy, maybe have to do with with Christmas selling, Hanukkah, the holidays, whatever. But it's regarded as being tepid, your forecast. I think that this is a big mistake, regardless, Tippet. I think what we have to do is say, okay, look at the success you had. Look at what you could do with Hot Wheels. I've got that on the table. Look at you do with Pictionary. Look what you do. You've got so many different. Uh, I've got stuff behind me too. I see ten movies here, and that's what you told me would happen five years ago.
4: We've been executing our strategy very consistently. We increased our guidance for the year. We continue to execute well. We grew sales uh, and grew POS in the third quarter year to date and we expect to continue to grow consumer demand in the in the holiday season in the fourth quarter and the full year and continue to outpace the industry the the company is performing well across category different play patterns different price points we're entering the holiday season with more retail support more shelf space more representation in major catalogs for the holiday season and increased advertising So we are very very well well positioned competitively, and we're seeing demand resonating for our brands. And this is not just in the dolls category, it's also in vehicles, it's also in other categories that are all driven by strong brands. And what we are doing, we are executing consistently on the toy side of the company. And parallel to that, we are growing outside of the toy aisle. And given that we own one of the strongest portfolios of children and family entertainment franchises in the world, our strategy is serving us very well. With the Barbie movie being a showcase for what we, what we bring to the table, how our brands resonate in culture, how we attract, collaborate and amplify top talent and how we can market product outside of the toy aisle very successfully. Now, as you
1: predicted, uh, you told me, you told everybody, go see the movie. The movie was unbelievable. What did I walk out wanting to do? Have more Barbie movies. Can we have more Barbie movies?
4: Well, we are here to build film franchises. And talking beyond the Barbie movie, this is about how do you take successful brands and execute an IP strategy across multiple verticals, highly accredited business verticals, that in some cases are bigger than the toy industry, all driven by big franchises. And the success of the Barbie movie is a showcase. We don't say that every movie will be as successful as Barbie, but we intend to apply the same methodology, the same approach, the same capabilities. And with 14 movies that we've announced, we're well on our way to execute on our content strategy, as well as our television activities, digital experiences, consumer product and merchandise, live events, parks and many other opportunities to continue to engage with consumers uh, uh, that in our case are not just uh, people who buy product, they also are, they also are fans. And that's right. where the opportunity lies ahead.
1: Well, uh, why was Hot Wheels so strong, do you think?
4: Hot Wheels is an incredible, incredible franchise. It's on track to achieve its sixth consecutive record year it grew 19% in the quarter. And we just continued to innovate with more product lines, more execution. We expanded into Skate and RC and seeing tremendous opportunity ahead of us with another movie that we are now currently developing with JJ Abrams as producer to bring yet another exciting uh, uh, brand to the marketplace on the big screen. So uh, which of
1: these, or why don't you tell me what you think is going to be the hottest? For, we're, we're only, you know, we're not that many days away from the big holiday season. You have a better command of it than anyone here. What are we going to be buying?
4: Well, uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff, uh, exciting product. Uh, Barbie signature uh, is just released the Ted Lasso doll, which is uh, a very exciting uh, product. But we're seeing the uh, Spirit Halloween Barbie costume being a top seller. The Barbie Dream House and Fashionista assortment is also uh, a, a great seller. Uh, out of the movie, the Barbie Margot Robbie doll is also going to be a great item for the holiday. And of course, the Hot Wheels basic car assortment and the five car pack assortment, are a great uh, great product to uh, look out for. And watch out for Monster High, the core dollar assortment and Uno, also great product coming out of Mattel. And you know what we do, our job is to take brands that are timeless and make them timely and relevant to culture. And much of the success of what we've achieved on the toy side of the company, as well as the Barbie movie, is resonating with culture. And to think of people who buy our product, not just as consumers, but as fans that have an emotional connection with your brands.
1: Right, and that's why I think that when we look at a stock price, we're really missing the big picture. You're You're redeveloping a cultural phenomenon that was from my childhood, okay, from the kids, my era. And you're making it so that people are thinking, wow, you know, this is a new, very exciting brand. Very, and you're taking it and transcending and you're making it into the entertainment company that you told me it would be one day when I laughed and said, it's a toy company. It is an entertainment
4: company, is not it? We continue to grow and expand. And we have a very clear strategy to continue to grow our IP driven toy business and expand our entertainment offering and become a true platform that leverages brands across multiple categories. And the analogy that we used to refer to, and you remember that, was Marvel. That used to be a comic book publisher and expanded to what it is today. We start the journey as a toy company, but the opportunity is very exciting and we continue to execute successfully. And the Barbie movie is a great showcase, a great template. So how we see the opportunity in front of us. Well, that's an
1: amazing analog. I'm going to leave it at that, because that's exactly what I was trying to get at. I want to thank Yannan Christ, chairman and CEO of Mattel. You bring a lot of joy, Yannan. I love it. Thank you, Jim. Bad Money's back after the break.
3: Coming up, these days, the legwork in car buying is in the consumer's hands.
5: They can make buying decisions, selling decisions, financing decisions and everything right at the finger, their fingertips.
3: Can this turnkey auto group put investors on the road to prosperity? Stick with Kramer.
1: This is a disconcerting time for the auto industry with a serious strike that's hurting business and higher interest rates as crippling car buyers. How bad is it? This morning, we got results for a very good company, Lithia and Driveway, which runs a big network of new and used car dealerships, including a great online presence. While Lithia's same store sales and total revenue came in better than expected, they also only earned $9.25 per share. Analysts were looking for something closer to, say, $10. That's a big earnings miss, hence why the stock plunged 6% today. But when you look under the hood, this was more of a mixed, nuance quarter. Uh, because of all the negatives, though, I keep referring about Wall Street. They weren't going to get the benefit of the data anyway. Most important, though, there's a lot to learn from these guys about the auto industry and how it's doing right now. We had the chance to speak with Brian DeBoer. He's the president and CEO of Lithia and Driveway earlier. Take a look. Mr. DeBoer, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Good to be back. Uh, thank you, Brian. Look, we've got a pretty robust economy. We've got very good uh, and low unemployment. Is that why your sales continue to hold up, despite the fact that we hear so much woe is me on Wall Street?
5: I think that's fair to say. Uh, the, the market actually is quite resilient. Despite uh, interest rates climbing almost 200 basis points, our manufacturers keep uh, adjusting their financing incentives to make it more more affordable for consumers i think most importantly lithium motors sells zero to 20 year old cars which keeps people within the uh, uh lithium driveway ecosystem quite nicely
1: so let's talk about the the process of buying a car at one point i always thought people would go as i did not that many years ago with my daughter to your in medford to one of your lots and make a decision looking at cars It does seem, though, that you have correctly identified that the omni-channel is the right way to do this. How many people are starting at the driveway portion of your company before they go buy?
5: So it's almost three million consumers a month uh, that are starting in the driveway uh, portal. There's also another 700,000 consumers a month that start in our green cars portal, which is the largest educational, sustainable uh, transportation website we believe independent in the United States outside of maybe Tesla or a few other uh, uh, manufacturers.
1: Had you not gone technologically and taken this leap, what would lithium sales look like versus what they look like
5: now? Oh gosh, Uh, I think more importantly uh, than that, it's about the transparency that our consumers are able to achieve by going digitally, where they're in control of the entire environment they can make buying decisions, selling decisions, financing decisions, and everything right at the finger, their fingertips sitting in their own living room, which is quite nice.
1: So, therefore, it makes sense your expansion plan is really uh, kind of on a platform, as we often talk about with technology companies. You've got a platform, the Lithia platform. It seems to even work in the U.K. Once you've got it down, it, it really does demand that you keep buying more dealers.
5: It does. Uh, the, the design is conducive to that, that's for sure. And in fact, in the UK, we uh, we, we, we just recently uh, signed a transaction and we're really looking forward to the partnership with Pendragon, which brings us our own DMS and CRM system someday. It may take us a few years to get there, but to, to further those experiences with our consumers, we really believe to be able to tie this different ecosystem together, it's imperative that we have our own technology to be able to deliver that directly to to our consumers' driveways.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the perception versus reality. The perception is created in your business by, we read these endless articles, uh, the worst defaults in 30 years, uh, the highest number of people having their cars repossessed, But then I look at your numbers and, yes, I mean, you had a little bit lower earnings than I would expect to be a great sales. And that's what I look at. And I would say maybe those figures could be maybe misleading uh, about the health of Lithia and driveway, because those figures would indicate that you can't really be making all this money.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think I think when we look at what's happening in the current environment, most importantly, The marketplace is robust, and I mean, our our same-store sales uh, increases in new were up 5%. Used were down a little bit, but inventories are quite tight. I mean, we got almost 10 million units of new vehicle sales over the last three years that aren't there to to become used vehicles now, and that's making it a little bit tighter. But ultimately, you know, we still have uh, somewhat elevated GPUs on the new car side that keep the profitabilities nice and high. And we're still looking for great productivity increases coming from personnel, as well as the technology really being able to help our associates uh, meet those customer demands in a lot easier way. All right. Well, let me dig down more.
1: The Fed has repeatedly raised rates. And you said that there's been accommodations. But at a certain point, we have to have more people having their cars repossessed. Something we should worry about if we own the stock of lithium driveway?
5: I don't think you have to worry about that in terms of driveway finance, our, our, our loss, loss expectations were uh, really uh, neutral with where they were sequentially last quarter, which is great. More importantly than that, we're pretty good about being able to move people up and down uh, the, the price bandwidth on their vehicles that they're purchasing to hopefully keep them out of those situations and keep them uh, driving back and forth to work.
1: And then I I did need to know, uh, when I look at your own balance sheet, do do I need to be concerned that it's difficult for you to uh, bundle your uh, loans and then sell them in the open market?
5: No, we're we're really to a systematic uh, um, um, selling of our securitized debt, which is attached to our loans. We've done three securitizations so far this year and expect another one in the next few months. Uh, but it's it's relieving our cash flows so we can really focus on, on M&A, which is quite nice uh, uh, going forward because there is a lot of opportunities still out there.
1: Well, it's very clear your strategy is rewarding shareholders. The stock's been a real winner this year. Not everybody – I can't claim that about everybody else in your segment, by the way. But a lot of it, I just think, is your decision to take risk. Take risk and buy more dealerships at what I guess you obviously must think are very reasonable prices created by all the negativity.
5: We do. We remain pretty darn disciplined. We bought $3.8 billion uh, in revenue so far this year. Uh, With the Pendragon acquisition, we'll be almost $8.2 billion. So it's going to be another full year of acquisitions with good outlook uh, going into the future to really drive towards that $50 billion expectation that we've set for ourselves and beyond.
1: Well, look, you're a man of your words. The $55 per share EPS target seems to be right, too. And in the time since we've known each other, it's just been a very, very good situation. I want to thank Brian DeBoer, the president and CEO of Lithia and Driveway. Thank you, Brian. Great to see you. Great to see you, Jim. may have money. We'll be back after the break.
3: Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round next...
1: And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski. time for the lightning round. Christian. I want to start with Peg in Ohio. Peg. Hey, Jim. How are hey, you? Peg. I am good. How are you?
5: Good.
0: I know there's a bull market somewhere, man.
5: And Indeed. I missed out on those early days of Tesla. So I want to know what you think about
0: Rivian Automotive. I'm I like, you, I'm I think, I've got articles. to tell
1: you, Peg, I like Rivian, but it is losing so much money that I think that they have to do even more financing that they've done. We're going to wait till the second financing before we pull the trigger. Rivian. Tyler in California. Tyler. Hey, from California. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm exhausted today. Uh, yeah. I'd like to know your thoughts on Schlumberger. Um, SLB reported a remarkable quarter. I would buy some here and buy some a little bit lower. Oil, oil reversed. It was at 82 and up to 85. This, this company had a great quarter. It really did. By the way, Halliburton had a great quarter, too. As a twofer. Let's go to Joe in Ohio. Joe. Hey, Jim. Uh, I'm looking to
4: invest
1: in an auto parts company. Okay. okay. And I found GPC, genuine parts Company. It's a good company. It's got a 3% yield. I have seen this yield as high as 5% because the stock's been lower. I think it's too early to commit to the level. It trades very illiquidly. By the way, I do like autosome. They continue to buy back stock left and right, as we mentioned today, on our home stretch for club members. How about Lee in Virginia? Lee. Yes. Calling from Lexington, Virginia, last home of General Robert E. Lee. Okay. Come visit us, Jim. I I like Virginia. Nothing there with that.
0: Going down in the mountains. We'll show you around.
1: Okay, what's happening?
0: AEHR, Jim. Uh, good management, good product. A lot of that potential. is, it is. But
1: you know what, sir? It's an expensive stock. And in this market, we have to be very, very careful because stocks are being divorced from the fundamentals. Anything that's too expensive suddenly becomes into the thrall of the bond market. And that's the problem with AEHR. Teresa in Kentucky. Teresa.
0: Booyah, Kramer. Thank for Teresa. taking my
1: call. My pleasure.
0: I just wanted your opinion on my stock that has gone down
5: $40 in the last two weeks on no news. I have. I hate to give
1: up on it and want to know if it's safe to go back and lower my cost basis or just hold or... Okay. And what no. stock here, that? I'm
5: sorry, the stock is PSA.
1: All right, PSA yields 5%. So that's just trading like a bond. If interest rates go to 6%, that stock's going to go down another 15, 20%. So I think I want you to wait till 200. That being your next buy will be meaningful and not until then. That's what we teach in the investing club all the time that your next buy meaningful. Paul in Pennsylvania, Paul. How are you doing, Mr. Kramer? Paul? From I'm Duma. Hey, how you doing, partner? What's, what's, doing like? well. what's up? Good, good. Uh, My question is, um, now that Hawaii is recovering from the wildfires, what do you think about getting in on some Hawaiian electric HE? Yeah, that's an (laughs) interesting spec, I have to tell you. I mean, I like – but you know what? It it is a spec. As long as you know it is nothing but a spec, then I think you'll be fine. But if you think it's some sort of investment-grade piece of paper, I got bad news for you. It ain't. So that's the way I feel about it. Let's go to Jeff in California. Jeff.
2: Hey, Jimmy Chill. Hey,
1: you know I'm a real numbers guy, Jim. And there's a stock that hardly anyone talks about, but the numbers are great. I just need to know when to get in. The stock is called Trade Desk. Well, that's Jeff Green. We think the world of Jeff Green. He's helped us immensely in trying to understand the ad market. Yeah, and I agree with you. It is a terrific company. The stock is is rich. This market doesn't have a tolerance for that. I would buy some and then wait till it goes lower. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the
3: lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, the White House has drawn red lines in two key regions. How will they impact stocks? Kramer considers after the break.
1: We've got red lines all over the place and we can't ignore them as much as I'd love to never worry about this geopolitical stuff. When our government draws a red line, it's because we're trying to make sure that whoever we're warning knows we mean business. This week, the White House drew not one but two red lines. We warned Iran that if it, or and I'm quoting, its proxies attack U.S. personnel anywhere, make no mistake, we will defend our people, we will defend our security swiftly and decisively, end quote. To me, these words from Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, put Iran on notice. They mean that unlike when a young Iranian theocracy held our embassy staff hostage for 444 days back in 7980, our government will fight to protect our people, first diplomatically and then if that doesn't work out militarily. At the same time, it's an indirect reminder that Iran shouldn't get too involved in Israel's fight against Hamas. At the same time, as John Ellis pointed out in his always excellent news items newsletter, we're drawing a red line against China, this time in defense of the Philippines in the case of an armed attack. Our government renewed a warning to the People's Republic of China not to mess with long longstanding ally after Chinese ships collided with two Filipino vessels near a contested area in the South China Sea. According to our government, that area belongs to the Philippines, but China keeps pushing, 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 pushing the boundaries of what it owns now that they've got an actual navy, similar to how they want to snatch the entire country of Taiwan. Even a cursory reading of the comments makes it clear that our government would go to war with China over any armed attack against the Philippines. That should be obvious. But maybe our leaders feel that the Chinese need a reminder. Look, I don't like these kinds of worries any more than you do. I want to talk about T-Mobile's quarter, Norfolk southern numbers, Alphabet, Microsoft, for heaven's sake. But I just don't think people are paying enough attention to these two red lines, perhaps because we're so focused on the ongoing conflict between Israel and Gaza. I mean, that's especially true for investors, as Wall Street seems totally oblivious to these new... Red lines. Again, this is not mad foreign policy, but it's a show about what could go right for stocks and what could go wrong. It's a show where we want stocks to go higher because you own stocks and my charitable trust owns stocks. We are not housemen for stocks who think they should never go down. We are realists observing the world and trying to factor things in, including red lines. Why? Because you never want to be blindsided by something that might seem totally obvious later the possibility that we could have a direct military intervention, something I don't think people are factoring in. It's difficult. I could glibly echo my own comments about how you should own some gold as insurance against geopolitical turmoil, perhaps by owning a quality gold miner like Barrett. But you also need to realize that if you own stocks, they could be pressured by anything involving either of these red lines. Maybe sometimes it's worth pointing out the perils, not because I'm trying to scare you away from the stock market, but because you need real conviction right now to own anything in an environment with so many geopolitical risks. I don't think Iran or China want to actually fight a war against the United States, but the fact that our government needs to spell this out means that the possibility of something happening is definitely higher than we might like and we may be actually willing to pull the trigger if those red lines get crossed. I like to say there's always a bull market summer, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.
5: its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such to view the full mad money disclaimer please visit cnbc.com forward slash mad money disclaimer
0: this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do so you need a business partner just like you like fedex who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you